All right, boom shakalaka. Today we're going to do another Rags the Rich uh, podcast, but I thought today I would do it live. So I got my cute little daughter here. Help me get this kind of set up because it's kind of crazy. I've actually got four cameras going at once in, in addition to my podcast machine. So this, we've got a lot of stuff going on in the studio today. All right, so the big thing I want to cover with you guys today is, um, like, if you guys have noticed, have you noticed that they're starting to look like there's signs of a recession coming? And I'll, I'll give you the signs. I'll give you the little the, the telltales that you can start identifying, and then you can make your own decision. But the name of this, uh, this podcast I'm doing today is called How to Position Yourself for the Upcoming Recession and Wealth Transfer Window. What do I mean by wealth transfer window? Every single time there's a recession, there's always a transfer of wealth that actually takes place. In fact, one of the, one of the very first times I saw this, I got exposed to it. I was down in Tucson, Arizona, where I worked for a missile manufacturer. And the guy that lived across the street from me, he was a school teacher. And he was really, really frustrated with he because his stuff was inside he, all of his retirement was inside the school districts like compensation or pension plan he became very very frustrated that he couldn't pull the money out and this was in 2009 when he was trying to pull it out and i'm like dude like why would you pull it out now like the market remember that little old axiom like buy low sell high i'm like look bro the market is extremely low why would you make that decision because you're going to hurt yourself. And if the guy actually would have sold it, he would have actually sold at the bottom, lost a massive amount of money. And as a result, he would have crushed his actual retirement plan. But they wouldn't let him pull it out. I'm like, dude, good for you. Thank goodness they won't allow you to do something stupid. But what happened is, is not everybody was in that position where they were locked into it. And there was actually a massive wealth transfer. And so, when I, when I show you these details, then you can decide for yourself if you see that there's an upcoming wealth transfer. And then I'm going to give you the three secrets or three things that you can do right here, right now to start getting yourself prepared for this upcoming event. Okay. So number one, the, the very first thing that I see that just, that, that looks really, really strange. I don't know if you guys ever follow the S&P 500. But one of their things is, is you can track the P.E. ratio. That's price to earnings ratio. If you're not familiar with that term, basically what it means is like, let's just say you wanted to, I have a friend, he's got a gym. Let's just say his gym is making $100,000 a year. And then the big question is, is how many times or how many years are you willing to wait to recover all of your money? And historically, the S&P 500 would say, well, just take the earnings of $100,000, multiply it by 15. So the value of that gym is 1.5 million bucks. And so that was the PE ratio. Historically, historically, the S&P 500 has been at 15 times earnings. That's what the historical average is. And we're gonna look in the rear view mirror a little bit and I'll give you some context so then you can see what I'm seeing, okay? And remember the tech bubble that happened in 2000? The tech bubble, all of a sudden, it went up to a P.E. ratio of, it uh, looks like it's about, I don't know, say 35 times earnings. It, it, it was like it, it doubled. It was actually, this graph right here shows that I'm looking at my data. It shows that it was 127% above average. And so what they did on this graph is they broke down the standard deviations. Like how many standard deviations has it moved off of that the, the, the norm or the normal running rate. 
And it actually was in excess of two times the standard deviation. Like normally things don't get outside of uh, the even like one time standard deviation is like, okay, things are a little different. Two times standard deviation is like, wow, we have a one-off event. This is like, this is really, really weird. Doesn't make sense. Okay, so it hit two times standard deviation in 2020. And all of a sudden the market busted. And it, it, it not only did it crash, but it came tumbling down with tremendous amount of thunder. Okay, that's what happened. Okay, so normally when the stock market gets way too high, people are willing to pay 35 times earnings or whatever. I mean, it, it's just too much. It's way, it's way in excess of what things are actually worth. Like if you think about it, are you willing to sit around and make no money for 35 years waiting for that thing to play out? And your answer is probably no. Okay, our current stock market right here, right now, is actually it's over the two times earnings or over the over the the two times standard deviation. It is eighty percent higher. The PE ratio. People are willing to pay close to like thirty times earnings right now for stocks in the S and P five hundred. It like it's off the rails. I only see two significant events going back all the way to the 1950s, where the stock market has exceeded two times standard deviation. One, in the year 2000, and right here in 2001, and then, or 2001 and uh, 2020, well, it's, it's, it happened last year. So last year and presently, we are, this is the second time in the last 70 years we've exceeded two times standard deviation. So we're 80% over. Now, normally, when you see when you see this, there's usually a correction on the backside, and when that correction happens, that's when people discover that assets all of a sudden people will all of a sudden bail out of the market at the same time, a mass exodus. And that mass exodus, what you'll see in a minute, is what creates opportunities to invest. Okay, so the next data point. So I just showed you the stock market. It's two times standard deviation, which is only there's only really two significant events that's happened in history, 2000 and then presently, okay? The next one is, this is new home construction starts. What, what is happening in this industry? You guys remember 2006? What it is, is the, the graph shows that new construction just went absolutely off the rails. There was so many homes getting produced for so long that all of a sudden it just, it hit this tipping point and you see that's like 2006, 2007. And all of a sudden, the new construction, the new homing starts, it snapped. And as a result, there was a huge backslide on the backside where people were giving houses, were giving assets away, like anything they could do to dump these particular assets. Okay. That is actually right here. So the second time, and let's see, let me pull this graph up. It goes back to 1982. 1982, there has only been two spikes, two peaks in this asset market where it has hit these levels. And we're talking like off the rails, like um, I think like the standard deviation. This is, a, this is indexed. So the index, just put it into context, is like the average is say, say 50, like 50 on this index, okay? So 50 on this index. In 2006, it, it, it hit 106 on the index. You can see that it went double the actual index average. 
And so the only other time that it's done this is presently. Presently, we have now, this is the second time in the last, I don't know, long time, last 40, 50 years that it's actually hit this uh, 106 number on the index. Or in other words, it is more than, it is more than double what the normal running rate is for new homes and new construction. So I'm seeing this in the real estate market. You remember 2006, massive slide on the back end. Things got really hairy. Things got ugly. That, we were at the exact same new home construction starts as we saw back then. Okay. So the next piece, we're going to take and look at the home price increases. Seeing how much these things have jumped. These things have been indexed, okay? So the last time we saw this graph goes from, let me pull up the... 19, looks like it starts at 1970. 1970, this was indexed. Um, 1970 was indexed at about 65 on this particular index, okay? The, the running rate right across here is around 70. In 2006, this index jumped up significantly or significantly hit 100, okay? You can see that it's almost, it's almost, it's almost a hundred percent increase or, or, or ramp up in the price of those particular houses. Then 2006 hit, snap, housing uh, housing dropped down considerably. Right now we are running on this index. We're running about a hundred and eight, or in other words, normal is about sixty on the index. We're running about a hundred and eight right now, or in other words, this is the highest, fastest ramp up of prices. That I can see on the on the index. This is a this is the Fed index where they track. It's a it's called the S and P K Shiller's U.S. National Home Price Index. It's a consumer price. It's a anyway. So that's the that's the index so that you can start seeing home prices. Okay, we are at the all time high from um, any like any historical averages or ramp ups. So basically, we're we're sitting probably about two times standard deviation. Does that make sense? So that's what you're seeing in there. So the next asset or asset bubble I want to point out to you, this is the third one that we're going to, sh we're going to look at. Um, actually, this is the fourth one. I'm showing you four of these, okay? Okay, this is the commodity prices. They, they've also gone in and indexed commodity prices. And that way we can kind of see how it is and how it's ramped up and stuff. This one actually has a couple different data points we can look at. So 2007, 2008, commodity prices hit one of the all-time highs. Normally, this index is, looks like it was probably, I'd say maybe uh, maybe the average on here is right around 100, okay? So in 2006, 2007 timeframe, this thing jumped up to 185 on the index. And then there was a massive pullback did a huge backslide. We saw it then jump back up again to about 185 in about 2011, a massive pullback, and it hasn't been back there. And now at present, it is now at the all-time high again, okay? So here's the thing I wanna point out. These are commodity prices that we're seeing. This is the index, this is the increase in which these things have gone up. So commodity are at an all-time high. Um, and every single one of these all-time high peaks were followed by a huge pullback in the market. We are now at an all-time high on prices, the, the, the way in which it ramped up. This is the highest 
in like the last like 60 years, okay? So that is at an all-time high. The stock market is at a all-time high or new, uh, new construction or new housing starts. And the stock market's at uh, one, it's not quite the all-time high. The all-time high was the tech, tech bubble. Okay, so anyway, I've showed you four commodities, all of them which have hit the all-time highs. And at the all-time highs, they've typically pulled back and there's been a huge pullback over quite a considerable period of time. So then the whole point of this, this is, is not to necessarily scare you. The point is, is just to look at the data and then to ask this question, how there, there will be a huge transfer of wealth that takes place in this upcoming next recession. And so the big three things I want to cover with you, or I'll show you is if you, if you position yourself properly, you can actually come out the backside smelling like roses. Like, what do I mean? Okay. The very first one is you've got to figure out, you've got to look at how do you make your business recession or recession proof. And what do I mean by that? Okay. Let me tell you what happens in the, like in the new, uh, new home construction business. Here's what I can tell. When the market pulls back and it's inevitable that the market will pull back, there's going to be a ton of construction guys sitting around with nothing to do because they were so committed to building new houses. But if they're not putting in new houses, they're going to get hurt. People that sell like washers, dryers, and all these appliances that go into the new houses. When it pulls back, those companies are going to get hurt. Okay. That's things that you can anticipate. So if you're a contractor, you might want to consider figuring out how to start doing like say remodels or picking a construction business that actually is more recession proof. Like give me an example. When 2006 hit, okay, actually, yeah, 2006 hit, I was actually working at a company called Raytheon Missile Systems. We had long-term contracts. So even though the entire economy and everything around me in the city of Tucson was in, was in shambles and life was really, really difficult, me, I honest, honestly, I really didn't notice it, at least not in my checkbook, because my contracts were long-term. They did not get canceled. We continued to go through the recession without actually ex experiencing a big economic hardship, okay? One of the things I can point out to you, you can anticipate doing well during a recession, is if you look at, if you look at the way the, the United States is being powered, the power, the way it's being powered is transferring at a rapid clip from like coal-fired plants to like natural gas, it is transferring to solar. People are getting solar, they're putting it up on their houses and they're discovering it's much, much more affordable than actually buying it from the utility company who is typically a monopoly and they can raise prices at ever increasing prices and then people get stuck with it. So that industry, that industry is recession proof in the sense that if you're a construction guy, you could still continue to work in that industry and move off or move or stay in the construction space but be recession resistant. Why do I say that? Everybody has a utility bill, okay? It's not gonna go away. During recessions, like, it doesn't go away. Like, in fact, in a recession, people will try to find ways to save money, which would take an accelerate, it would be an accelerant to encourage people to put solar up on their house. So that is something I see as recession proof. One is, is like, uh, car or industries that manufacture parts for automobiles. Like people will slow down purchasing new vehicles and there will be a transfer to people fixing the existing vehicle that they have. 
And that would cause or cause you to be recession proof, like Checker Auto Parts. They're going to do great. Or AutoZone. These guys are going to do, or I guess maybe one of those got bought, like O'Reilly. They're going to do great during a recession. Okay. So start thinking about what businesses would do well during a recession. Okay. Number two, cash on hand to invest. Like, what do I mean by this? So if you understand that the big idea here is to buy low and sell high, right? So if you look at the market right now, if we're at two times standard deviations, people are paying way in excess of what the value, historical value of these assets have been, you need to ask yourself, is that high or is that low? And if your conclusion is that that's, that's high, then the answer is, well, think twice before you, you buy something. You need cash on hand and powder. Like the Kennedys, JFK, the Kennedy, the family, they came into a massive amount of wealth during a recession where they actually went up and bought stocks for pennies on the dollar. And then they slayed it. Warren Buffett says, like, right now, he's like, he goes, like, he goes, man, like, he goes, oh, I'm trying to remember his exact something. He likes that. He used the harem example. He's like, man, I'm an oversexed guy. And, uh, like, and there, there's nothing. Like, they're, like, he can't find anything or anything that he could buy or he could own. But when the recession hit, he's like, holy cow. Like, it is time to shop. Go look at Warren Buffett's balance sheet. The guy's got $100 billion plus dollars in cash because he can't find things that are attractive to buy. And I'll tell you what he's waiting for. He's waiting for the market to fall apart because what it did previously in 2006, 2007, 2009, he went and bought up. Uh, he went and bought up a like a Berlin it was a Northern Railroad. He bought up an entire railroad. He bought the entire enchilada during that downturn. He will take and he will buy assets like crazy during the downturn. So if you want to play the game like Warren Buffett, take his advice. Like right here, right now, he does not deploy in capital. He's got dry powder, dry cash sitting in his checking account waiting for the world to blow up. Okay. So that's that's secret number two, cash on hands. Number three, figure out partnerships, ways that you can get into the game and start investing. So when 2009 hit, like I, I, like when I tried to figure out how to invest, it was like 2005, 2006, uh, maybe 2004, I was trying to figure out how to buy um, real estate. And I was like, gosh, dang, I cannot find numbers. I cannot find properties. I'm like struggling like crazy to find properties that pencil. And I bought one and, uh, Thank goodness I was able to like turn it from like a, just a single family unit. I actually ended up turning it into a triplex so I could pull more cash out of the property. That's what pulled me through that environment. But I got so frustrated that I stopped investing in real estate totally. And then when 2009 finally hit and I was like, holy cow, these banks are begging you to take their property. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? And I, I remember buying property for like 70,000 bucks, 80,000 bucks. These were houses that were like two years old, one years old. I'm like, these houses are really, really nice. And I'm paying like maybe 50 cents on the dollar. I bought them up. I did that. I, in the end, I wound up with 14 doors because these were highly profitable. But what did I do? I went and I formed relationships and partnerships. At that very same time, I had a, a friend that actually totally, I had two friends that slayed it. One friend, he was a real estate agent. And basically, he went out and he started finding anybody that had cash. You got cash. Are you willing? Do you have cash on hand? And when they said that they did, 
because as an investor, I could only accumulate, I think at the time, four properties in my name. That has since been expanded to 10. But like I could only get four mortgages in my name. I'm like, but there's all these assets. And so like I ended up putting my family in the partnerships and then we ended up putting all the properties in all of our names so that we could expand how many we could own. But my friend, he, as a real estate investor, as a real estate agent, and he, he did it smarter than me. He literally went and tracked down people that had cash, said, hey, it's sitting there. Why don't we start making some money on it? Because you're not making money off of your off of the off your investment or believing the money in the checking account. And he did, and he wound up with like 160 something properties. Changed his life. That two-year window completely changed his life, revolution, revolutionized the entire thing. See what I'm saying? I had another friend that did that. He's up to now 4,000 real estate transactions. And, but he made most of it, shockingly, down in my stomping ground, down in Arizona, where the world fell apart. So just start considering, who is it that I could partner with? Who is it that has assets? Like maybe you could do the sweat equity. And then you could work with them to do it. Or maybe you've got the money, but you got to figure the guy who's got the hustle to go out and start doing this and finding properties. Like for me, my breakthrough on buying those investment properties, I had to find a realtor that was not afraid to work. Okay. They were having a hard time figuring out how to move properties. And I, I said to, I'm like, I, I talked to this realtor. I talked to a whole bunch of them. I'm like, all right, we're going to be going, we're going to write these next 10 offers. And they're like, dude, I ain't write no 10 offers. I'm like, all right, like it's not going to work then. And I found a guy who was willing to write 10 offers. I'm like, all right, bro, um, we're going to write these 10 offers. I'm not even going to go look at them. I just want to know who's in the marketplace and is interested. So he wrote up all the offers, sent it to me, and then we just started plucking them off. Pluck, 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 pluck. Okay. That is, that's the, those are the three big secrets I want to, I want to capture. So if you came in a little late, let me take and do a, a quick rehash of it. That way you walk away with it. Okay. So. During a recession, there is always a huge wealth transfer, okay? So secret number one is start figuring out how to position your business to do well during a recession. Like, let me give you an example of a way to position yourself. Remember when COVID hit? Pre-COVID, if you were in the health fitness space, you were like, hey, come to the gym, look good, get your beach body on, da 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 right? Like, you want to look sexy, I'll make you look sexy. Come to my gym, come work out with me, and I'll teach you how to look amazing. The messaging on that particular product, like I have friends in the space that they shifted it. They're like, hey, like come to the gym. We've got to figure out how to get you healthy to make you less susceptible to getting COVID. Like take care of yourself. The, the best defense against that stuff is to make sure that your body is in prime condition. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell you like uh, food supplements. We're going to start cleaning up your diet. We're going to start doing... Like we're going to do exercise. We're going to get you cardiovascular. We're going to improve your lungs. So if you get COVID and you get it inside your lungs, it's not going to hurt you as bad. Okay. They changed the packaging or the messaging on it. So that right there is probably the simplest way to ask yourself, how could you make yourself recession proof? But the main thing is, is you've got to find a way to make you and your business recession proof. And it very well may be, you have to take what you're doing and shift it to an adjacent market. Like instead of new construction, you're going to have to shift to home remodels. Now, I think the construction space is in trouble because there's way too many guys in it building houses now. And if it pulls back, I don't know if the market could absorb all of the guys to do remodels. But nevertheless, keep that in mind. Remodels will actually pop up during a recession. Um, like right now, I guess remodels are high because everybody's pulling tons of equity out of their houses. 
But when the market pulls back, dude, there's going to be some blood in the street and pain because people are going to discover their paychecks went down. They had dual incomes to be able to support the home, and then maybe they don't make the same amount of money. There's going to be blood in the streets. I can tell you it's going to happen. It will happen. So number two, follow Warren Buffett. Make sure you have cash on hand because when things get cheap, buy low, sell high. Things are high right now. Warren Buffett has cash on hand. He's going to buy when it's low. It's not low right now. It's actually two times standard deviations. It's as high as it's ever been. Not quite as high as 2001 or, or the tech bubble that happened in 2001, 2000, 2001. Number three, figure out or start figuring out or creating partnerships so that you can figure out how to leverage either your money or your time with somebody else. Somebody's got the resource that you need so that you can capitalize and, and kill it during this window. Okay. I, I've done, I did, I created a stock partnership and uh, I also created a real estate partnership during uh, 2000, at, in 2009 because the stock market was, uh, was low. It was, it was like cheap. People were giving stocks away and they were giving the houses away. Therefore, it made sense to buy the assets. See what I'm saying? Okay. Um, that was a rags of riches secrets. Um, wanted to bring that to you. Like if you're like, hey, Mike, how, like what, what could you do to help me? Two things I can help you. Like, I'll show you the two things I'm doing so that I'm getting in front of it. Like, here's here's what I noticed. During COVID, like, do you remember, you know Jeff Bezos, right? Jeff Bezos actually left a very, very profitable, he had a tremendous salary working for a bank and he left it to create Amazon because he noticed that it was growing at 1,000%. The, the, the online commerce is growing at an absolutely astronomical pace. Like, it's stupid how fast it's growing. It actually grows. Amazon got so big so fast that it scared the crap out of Walmart that Walmart is now heavily, heavily going into the e-commerce space. And they're allowing like people like you, people like me, to start selling our products on the platform. They're actually putting themselves in the position of a platform just like Amazon does, okay? And so I'm seeing that shift. COVID accelerated that. Like... Jeff Bezos got divorced during that window, got his assets cut in half by like we're not even out of COVID and he is already his his net worth is already more than when he got divorced. You see what I'm saying? Because there's so much push into the e-commerce. So what I did is I've gone in, I've created e-com like uh, e-com stores. What do I mean by that? Like it's an automated done for you service. So if you say, Mike, I am not an expert at e-commerce. I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. We know how to pick the products, source the products. We know how to list the products. We know how to do everything. Just come in, plug in. It's a done for you service. We'll take and solve the whole thing. Because I know even though a recession hits, people will still continue to shop online and that space will continue to grow. Now we might have to figure out what people are willing to buy because that could shift. But I know that that's going to happen. The other business that I've done is, like, I've been in solar for a long time, so I set it up so I can start franchising it out. Because I already know, with all these electric vehicles coming online, there's a shortage of electricity in the United States. I already know, with all these new houses that have come online, it put even more constraint. Like, there, there's not, there's not necessarily, we are constrained on our ability to produce enough power for all of the things that we're trying to do. So I put those are the two businesses that I've shifted towards because I already know that those things are recession proof and they will accelerate during a downturn. Anyway, I will talk to you later.